What's better, a tonic espresso or a pumpkin spice latte? Tonic espresso. Yes. I love you so much. Correct answer. Yep. Welcome back to the Whatever is True podcast. I'm Bethany here with my husband, Jake. Hey, everybody. Today, we have a special treat for you guys. We have an interview with Abby Halberstadt from Emma's for Mama. She is just a wonderful Christian mother and wife who recently came out with a book that she is going to talk about. Um, but more so than that, she's just going to share about her life and her love for God and how scripture is interwoven throughout all of that. This was one of my favorite interviews, honestly. And I'm pretty sure I say this after each interview that we do to you, if not on the podcast, but I just feel like every single person we interview, we could hang out with in real life and just have like a great time of having their families over and just having a big meal together. Yeah. I think this episode might be one of our longer ones. And honestly, I felt like we could have just continued talking with her because there was so much to cover and she's just such a wealth of information. But before we get into that, I do want to share today's affiliate, which is Date Night in a Box. If you guys have been around here for any amount of time, you know that we love Date Night and we love Date Night in a Box, which is just an easier, more manageable and cheaper way to have a regular date night. And it is a subscription box that gets sent to your house once a month. And if you use my code BethanyRose50, you can get 50% off your first box, which is, I think is a total of $19.99. Now, don't get me wrong. I love our weekly date night. But I must say, when we have date night in a box, it just adds that little bit of extra you know, like I will watch a movie and eat sushi with you anytime. But when you have like a special game to play or something to bake together, it just really kicks that night up even more and just makes it really enjoyable. There's just a little bit more guidance to the evening and you don't need to go pay for a babysitter. And you get the awesome custom Spotify playlist too, which is a lot of fun. Those are fun. Before we get into the interview, don't forget you can find the podcast over on Instagram at whatever is true co. Bethany is at Waves and Lilacs, and I am at Jake Off Script. So, without further ado, here is our interview with Abby Halberstadt. And don't forget to like, subscribe, five stars, all that jazz. Welcome back to the Whatever is True podcast. We have Ab- <laughs> Abby. Halberstadt with us today, and she is the author of M is for Mama, and that is also where you're found on Instagram and everything like that as well, correct? Mm-hmm. Correct. All right. So, Abby, uh, we're really excited to talk to you and uh, just see what you have to share with us. But before we start, can you... It's okay. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Do it. Why is this doing this right now? Don't tell me this, Samsung. Shut up. <laughs> we'll just use Sorry. this for outtakes. No worries. Um, 
So yeah, Abby, it's really great to have you on. We're really excited to talk with you about your book and just to get to know you better. So if you want to start off, uh, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Yeah, yeah. Yep, I'm Abby Halberstadt. I am a wife to an amazing Renaissance man named Sean. Um, and I'll tell you why he's a Renaissance man here in a second. Um, I am a mama of 10 kids. I'm a second generation homeschooler, was homeschooled myself. Um, and recently in the last year or so, I've gotten to, uh, be blessed by the Lord and getting to fulfill a dream I've had since I was probably six or seven years old, which was publishing a book. Um, and, um, we'll talk more about that later, I'm sure. But, um, it goes along with my blog that I've done for 11 years, which is called Emma's for Mama. Um, and, and the reason why people are like, A is for Apple. Like, are you a teacher? Well, yes, I was a Spanish teacher in high school for a long time, but, um, the MS for Mama came about from an experience I had where when those little, um, I'm making a shape with my hand, but y'all can't see me. So that won't help you. But a little round disc, the little initial disc that people wear with like their own initial or their kids initials or their husband's initials around their neck. And I was looking for one for my mom. Um, and we call her softer. That's the Hebrew word for grandma. And so I was looking for an S and they were all out. I was about to leave and I, my eyes just kind of fell on this little M disc and I bought it without really like thinking, I mean, my name's Abby. It starts with an A. I don't, you know, why am I buying this? And I sat in the car and I stared at it and I really had the Lord have a moment with me of, um, identity crisis. I would say that he was telling me that I found a lot of identity in being a Spanish speaker and being a teacher and being a fitness instructor, which is another thing that I do on the side. Um, and if people were to ask me kind of, what is it that you do? Those are the things that I would tell them first before I am a mama. Um, because I think we live in a culture that says, you know, any woman can be a mom. And we even have a culture that's trying to say that men can be moms. So you're just watering down a lot of um, essential things into kind of just this three letter word that has come to not mean that much. And I think we have a lot of pressure as women to achieve and to have a lot of hats and to bring in income and also do all the things at home well. And it, it's just a lot to balance. And, um, so in that moment, I was just really convicted as I'm staring this, at this little, disc with an M on it that the Lord was having me say, you are a child of God. You are a Christian first. You are a wife next and a help me to your husband. And then you are a mom. You're not a Spanish teacher before you're a mom. You're not a fitness instructor before you're a mom. You're not a blogger before you're a mom. And I didn't think I was, and I didn't even live like I was, but I know that when people asked me for my credentials, I wasn't as likely to say, I am a mother of two sweet boys, which I have 10 kids now, but at that point I had two little boys, 18 months apart, about three and a year and a half. Um, no, that's not true. Actually, I had three kids at that point. I didn't start blogging until I had three kids. And so that was a little bit later. Um, so just kind of a little mini epiphany. And at that point, my blog was called five days, five ways. I was blogging five different things a week. It was exhausting. And it was also a heart shift to do something that was more focused on what the Lord wanted me to do, which was encourage other women in motherhood. And so I wore that M around my neck, which people thought was super confusing because again, my name is Abby, doesn't start with an M, but it was an opportunity to explain to women that this was a reminder of my primary calling beyond Christian and wife, that, that this was the, this was the mission field that the Lord had given me. 
And this was where he was calling me to um, find joy and pride in a good way, not in a prideful, I'm so great way, but in a, this is a worthy and high calling kind of way. And so I wore that necklace and I changed my um, blog name to Emma's for Mama, not knowing, not having a clue that about 11 years later, I would be releasing a book with the same name, um, hoping and praying, because that's why I actually started my um, online journey with blogging and ultimately what I do most now, which is bico blogging on Instagram and social media. Um, and so... I started that in the hopes that I would grow an audience and the Lord did it in his own time and way. And we can talk about more of that later. But, um, so I have a blog called Emma's for Mama and that's kind of the reason behind it. Um, I've been a Christian since I was five years old and people are like, eh, I don't know if that's actually true. Like, is that legitimate? And, um, my parents preached the gospel to me and read pure scripture to me from an early age. So as much as my five-year-old brain was capable of grasping the fact that I was a sinner and it was my sin that had nailed Jesus to the cross, I did sort of grasp that. I did sort of have at least a concept. Um, I sure didn't want to be separated from Jesus forever. I wanted to be in heaven. And I was sorry that my sin had put him there on the cross. And I understood that concept. And so I prayed a sinner's prayer, which I know those are, those are out of vogue. Those don't count. But I really think just in my childlike faith that the Lord started my journey toward him at that moment. And um, I've never had a huge crisis of faith, I've never deconstructed. I've never, you know, felt like that wasn't genuine or I, I didn't believe scripture. In fact, the more I look at scripture, the more I see just how true God's word is, not only in the practical ways that it plays out in our lives, but in the um, spiritual ways that it impacts our relationships with our families, with our children, with our husband, and just the principles that are just so true over and over again. So I'm just really grateful for scripture and I'm grateful that the Lord has grown me in my relationship with him so that he can grow me in my relationship with people. And like I said, that ultimate mission field, that primary battlefield of fighting for my children's souls, that calling that he's given me um, in motherhood is where I find myself still. Now I have a 16 year old um, son, 16 and a half. Next one, it will be 15 soon. Next one will be 12 soon. I have almost 10 year, there'll be a uh, 10 in three weeks. I have 10 year old, almost 10 year old, identical twin girls. Um, and then we have a boy who's seven, a boy who's five, a boy who's three and almost two year old identical twin boys. Um, and they actually share the same birthday as their identical twin sisters. So yeah. we will have a quad birthday. Yeah, it's, it's the coolest. Really cool. I, um, I remember reading that in your book and I told Jake that and he was just like, that's insane. It is. It's really, really insane. The Lord is really cool. So yeah, how he right. orchestrated that. So I that's kind of. How, sorry. Um, I know yeah. how people look at me when I'm like, yeah, Bethany's due with our fifth in December. They look at yeah. me like I'm crazy. So I'm sure you get that. But yeah, it's just. Like it's really cool that you have four birthdays on one day. Yeah, they're, that they're yeah. they're twins, you know, just in yeah, two sets game. of twins, one set of identical girls, one yeah. set of identical boys, and they That's even so cool. actually favor each other. It's nuts. Like the first first girl is similar to the first boy, and the second girl is similar to the second boy. And I'm just <laughs> like, Lord, only you could do that. That was pretty cool. Well, they talk about like twins being able to like communicate with each other. 
like non-verbally i wonder if that like passes on to like <laughs> yeah. you said, the twins you know yeah yeah maybe they'll be able to do that i don't know we'll see it's it's just it's pretty cool because the girls feel a lot of ownership for their little baby brothers mm. and like that's my twin twin number one is mine because i'm twin number one it's just it's a cool dynamic that's really that's cool. sweet well thank you so much i just resonate so much with what you said. Um, Jake and I are also second generation homeschoolers. And just going back to how you were talking about that order of God, spouse, and then children is, is just so valuable. And I think so much of not just society, you know, messes that up, but, um, you know, just even in Christian circles as well. And we can see how God has that order in place for a reason and that when it's, you know, done like that, there's so much value, um, in that line. Amen. Yeah, I agree completely. So So tell us, I want to go back. Oh, (laughs) hang on, Beth. I want to go back just a little bit because you said that your husband was a Renaissance man. Yes. yes. You said that and then that, that like tickled my ears. I, I really, yeah. Yeah. And then I just dropped it. Um, so, Interestingly enough, at the time that he, right before he and I started dating, um, there were three guys who were kind of pursuing me. And that sounds like, Ooh, look, weren't you just, it was not a normal, normal instance for me, not a normal occurrence, but it just so happened when he was first starting to express interest, there were these two other guys. And I, I remember that we all ended up going bowling together in some weird confluence of events that it was like those three guys and my brother. I was like, how did this happen? This is really strange. And, um, I remember he made some reference to pride and prejudice. Well, I have an English degree and, um, and a Spanish degree and I'm a, you know, literary nerd. I'm a writer. I'm an author. And so he, he's, he made some kind of almost even obscure reference to pride and prejudice. And I was kind of like, I need these other guys to leave. I want to talk to this dude. <laughs> like that's, he's speaking my language. Um, so he was like a lit crit, um, he won state in lit crit, which is just a whole, literary thing in high school, just a super brainy, smart guy, literary. He's a software developer um, that writes really specialized software that you have to be really smart to figure out. And he um, built both of our houses. So like literally he built them from start to finish, framed, sheetrocked, laid foundations, plumbed, did all the electrical, um, painted, roofed, sided, every bit of it. So, um, yeah, when I say Renaissance man, I mean, he's pretty (laughs) well-rounded. He's got all the things. (laughs) That's awesome. All right. My turn for a question. Um, all right. We've talked a little bit about your book and about the title of it, but I want to hear more about what actually prompted you to write a book about the topic of motherhood and not just any motherhood, but mediocrity and motherhood. And what do you even mean by that term? Sure. Yeah. So my book is actually titled MS for Mama, which makes sense because it's my quote unquote brand or the name of my blog. Um, and also very evocative, you know, kind of like this defines, this defines motherhood. And then the subtitle is, is kind of a attention getter. It's a rebellion against mediocre motherhood. Um, and I wanted to grab people's attention with kind of this possibly inflammatory statement, but what do you even mean by a mediocre motherhood? How dare you call someone who has birthed or adopted a child mediocre? 
Um, but I think right now in our society, we are seeing, and I'm sure this has been true because there is nothing new under the sun. I'm sure this has been, this has been true for time immemorial, but we are seeing, I think, because of social media, a glorification of the concept that if you are a mother, you are a superhero. Like already, just by being a mother. And it sounds good. And it sounds like it should be encouraging. But there's not a lot of substance there. Someone mm-hmm. just telling you how amazing you are just for a title that you carry actually doesn't help you be excellent at that title. And so I think there's a lot of false encouragement in patting ourselves on the back for carrying the title of mother if we aren't actually in tune with the Holy Spirit, if we're Christians, and obeying God's word and the prompting of the Holy Spirit to be excellent in it. Now, we know as Bible-believing Christians that we're not going to be any good at that in our own strength, that we are going to fail miserably, that we are going to say with Paul, The things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do are the things that I do. Who can save me? Oh, what a wretched man am I. But of course, it's a rhetorical question. We already know who can save us. Who can save us is Jesus. And so there's a line that I have in the book that says, the fact of the matter is, I'm paraphrasing, but the fact of the matter is we are all mediocre without Jesus. Like, we might be able to put on a veneer of professionalism, of having our children under control, of doing it all or any of the things that kind of society idolizes within motherhood or any career. But ultimately underneath, we are going to be struggling with pride and with laziness and with impatience and with bad attitudes and with anger. And um, motherhood, I will say, is one of those things that shows you your need for Jesus more than just about anything else. (laughs) Absolutely. Because you are constantly coming up against the sin nature and the strong will of another human being or several of them at the same time. And they're not mentally developed enough to even have the self-control that you're supposed to have. Um, So I really wanted to speak into this concept that Jesus is what takes us to excellence in motherhood, not any effort of our own strength. And then also speak into something that I see in the culture, again, exemplified and glorified in social media, which is an attitude of almost defiance or glorification of how annoyed we are at being mothers. Mm-hmm. Like almost a, um, I barely made it through today. I will now need two glasses of wine and four hours of Netflix to recover from the ordeal that was interacting with my children today. Yes. Or, um, you know, your kids are little blanky blanks too. Fist bump of solidarity. Mine too. They all are, you know, or can we please all talk about how you just fill in the blank with any stage, toddlers, teenagers, 10 year olds, whatever are the absolute worst, you know, and it's such an attitude of negativity and I see it seeping into the church. I see it seeping into Christian mamas and I wanted to stand up and say, I think, I think a lot of Christian moms know it, but we start, we start doubting ourselves when so much of culture is telling us you should be miserable. And we almost feel like we're bragging or we are lying when we say, no, there is joy to be had, even in sacrifice, even in suffering. But we just don't have to look too far in scripture to find Jesus saying that all the time. He who wants to save his life will lose it, but he who loses it for my sake will find it. 
Um, and that doesn't make any sense in the world's economics, but it, you see it in motherhood and in all kinds of Christian life scenarios, but especially, I think, for women in motherhood. You see how laying your life down for your children, whether it's losing sleep so that you can nurse them um, back to health or give them food from your body, whether it's making the same food over and over again during the day, kissing the boo-boos, doing the catechisms, um, teaching the math, um, teaching the driving, because I have teenagers, you know, so I've got all the ages pretty much, except for full-on adults. Um, I just really feel like people need the encouragement, not just you're great because you're a mother, but you have the potential to be a great mother because of Jesus. Mm, amen. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. And I know that when I got pregnant with our first, there was all of that negativity all around me. It felt like everyone I talked to, all they had to say was, just wait till this. You're not going to sleep. Your whole life's going to change. We, Jake and I um, traveled a lot and everyone would say, well, that's going to end. You're not going to do that anymore. And I felt so defeated even before our oldest Emmett was, was born. And I will never forget one day sitting at a restaurant with a friend and there was a couple next to us with a baby and I was very obviously pregnant at that point. And he he turned to me and like started asking questions about the pregnancy. And he just goes, I love being a dad. Like it is Aww. just the most wonderful thing. And you are going to love it. And he was so encouraging. And like, I mean, I remember that still today. I mean, this was seven, eight years ago. Yeah. And it made such an impression on me because it was so against what the culture is always saying. And so not only is it important to recognize how wonderful motherhood is, but then to push back like what your your book is talking about here against all of the, you know, we, we deserve so much and and like wine o'clock and, and fist pumping in the negativity of our t- toddler's attitudes. Um, but I love how you're talking about laying our life down and just how that's mirroring Jesus. And that's what we're called to. And it's just... It's so different. And so I'm so thankful for your book. Um, I have not read all of it yet, but that's because I feel like I need to like sit and savor each chapter because there's just so much wisdom and so much to think about. And it's not something to just race through. Um, It's one of those books that you want to read and then apply it to your life. So thank you so much for writing that book. Well, I'm just really thrilled that I got a chance to. One of the things that prompted it was I do this bit on um, Instagram called What Do You Want to Know Wednesday? And it's a weekly Q&A. And um, one of the things that was really intimidating to me when I considered writing a book was how much research goes into it. You just really have to know your stuff. And um, you need to be able to be telling stories that are relatable because you've been there. But you also need to be able to be knowledgeable enough that you're offering somebody something worthwhile, you know, that you have actual wisdom. And I think that the Lord brought along this book in the right timing for me to feel confident to offer those things. But one of the reasons that I did feel confident is that in doing those Q and A's, I was doing research for my book without realizing it until I was about a year and a half into doing it. Because what I started to notice was the same questions were being asked over and over again, whether it was disciplining toddlers, um, And one thing I talk about in the book, I don't know if you're there or not, but you'll get there eventually is we can't really expect ever to train our children well, like the Bible asks us to, if we haven't first disciplined ourselves. 
Mm-hmm. Scripture talks a lot about the fruit of the Spirit in us and our responsibility to be self-controlled and to have control of our tongues through the Holy Spirit and to have joy in our lives. And as Ephesians 4 says, to be completely humble and gentle, bearing with one another in love. Um, that's really high calling for adults. And then you throw a two-year-old that will not do anything that we want the first time that we ask in the mix. And some way, some, suddenly we realize like, oh, I'm not patient. I'm not gentle. I'm not forbearing, you know? And so um, the biggest thing for me in looking at those questions, because what I always try to do when I answer those questions on Wednesday is to answer them with a principle. I'll use my, my personal experience if I feel like it's helpful, but I don't want to answer everyone's specific What do I do? And I talk about this in the book. What do I do when my 2.8 month old, like people get so specific (laughs) about their ages. What do I do when my 37 and a half month old, um, you know, wears Spider-Man undies every day and won't poop on the potty unless he's sitting on it backwards. (laughs) And it gets so like nitty gritty. And, um, and I, I always feel like it's way more important to the, speak of the truth of what Scripture does call us to do instead of just, it's that whole teach a man to fish concept. You know, give a man to fish and he eats for a day. Teach a man to fish, fish and he eats for a lifetime. And so my goal is to bring people back to Scripture over and over again. Well, what does the Bible has to have to say about this? Where you're like, well, I looked and I didn't find anything about Spider-Man and decent body <laughs> training. So I need you to tell me because you have 10 kids. So you must know. Um, so instead of in that particular instance, I'm going to be speaking to the concept of consistency. I'm going to be speaking to the concept of, um, staying calm. Even when you're frustrated, I'm going to be speaking to the concept of being forbearing. Like you would want to be. Oh boy, I don't even know if I know the verb for that. Forborn. <laughs> I think um, you've stumped me too. Yeah. So, it sounds so good. Like you're, it. you're talking about the golden rule in that case. Like if you wouldn't want to be rushed and, and snapped at, well, then you're probably going to have to be the adult. The two-year-old isn't going to be the adult. So that's going to have to be you, even if it is the 37 and a half month old who does all these weird things, you know? So um, it was cool to realize that this thing that the Lord prompted me to do to try to help all these women who had really specific questions and needed guidance back to scripture ended up helping me write an entire book about it. Like it was already the research. The Lord already knew how he was going to get me through the research, even with 10 kids. And I was like, oh, that's that was pretty cool, Lord. Good job. <laughs> That's great when it works out like that. And like you yes. said, it's uh you know, it's always like the same questions come up over and over again. I've I've mm-hmm. seen that with Bethany answering questions and it's like they get so nitty gritty and there's nothing new under the sun, so you just have to keep going back to the scripture, which is the one truth, you know? Yeah. And yeah. so that's and it's so nice too, because then it's not like if you give them a piece of advice from the Bible, that's from God. It's not you, you know, it's, it's okay. This is what scripture says. This is what I believe. And now it's, it's your turn. Like I've given you the scripture. I've, I've given you the direction. Now you continue on and find that and, and work through it with the Lord. So I, I really like that. Well, and I included, um, at the end of the chapters, Bethany, you've probably seen these. They have, um, they have a format at the end of the chapters with a challenge, with some verses to memorize. And I've had people tell me, 
I think they said there was like, they were somewhere around 190. I never counted. I was just, you know, it's 190 individual verses throughout the book because I wanted it drenched in scripture. And I've had people that have written down every single one of those verses on note cards. And I've had people tell me they've never memorized scripture before until they started reading this book because they didn't know where to start. And I've had people tell me that they started reading their Bibles because of this book. And I'm like, Lord, you did that. Like Mm -hmm. it was only through your Holy Spirit inspired influence that that could be the outcome for any particular person from just reading a book. And that for me is that's like the best message I get pretty much. Oh, yeah, that's wonderful. Just such a testimony to you, you know, walking in in God's will and doing what he has placed in front of you for your life. That's awesome. So continuing on with the book, um, you know, we've talked about like what the what the Bible says about this topic. But where have you seen mediocrity motherhood coming into Christian circles specifically? So interestingly for me, a lot of this I am mainly seeing on social media because my close circle of friends um, and the people that I interact with at church um, know their Bibles and they are very kind to their kids and kind about them. Um, and I am so grateful to have that kind of community because I actually, at least in terms of close to me circles am not having to fight with constant negativity, but I get messages constantly and emails constantly about, I am the only one that speaks well of my children. Mm. And I'm starting to wonder if I'm crazy because I feel so alone. I feel so isolated. I feel so ostracized. Um, and they'll talk about being in a Bible study, a Bible study like studying scripture. And instead of really digging into the scripture, there's like a vent session for most of the, of the Bible study where the moms are just saying like, I can't, I mean, I know I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it. I cannot stand, you know, and then fill in the blank. And I, I feel deep compassion for those moms. Cause I have been there when I, I'm actually there with one of my kids in terms of not just loving the stage that they're in. Like I'm not enjoying it, but there's, there's a line in the book that when the Lord gave it to me, I was like, Oh man, I need to remember that I, that I said that I said, I don't think the same. I don't think that rejoicing always, which is what we're called to do in scripture. We're called to rejoice always. There's no caveat, no rejoice always, except for when you haven't gotten enough sleep, no rejoice always, except for when the teenager's being a jerk, no rejoice always, except for when your husband doesn't help you as much as he should or whatever. Um, Rejoice always. No caveat. But the sentence I wrote was, I don't think that rejoicing always is the same thing as enjoying always. Mm. Like we can thank the Lord for trials. So I have this phrase I always use. Hard is not the same thing as bad. Um, And it's just kind of something that the Lord gave me as a touchstone. I'm not, I'm not into mantras. I don't believe in mantras. I think that those are really worldly and can get people way off and probably take the place of scripture way too much in prayer, way too much for us sometimes. But that concept of hard is not the same thing as bad has helped me to center my mind back on, Lord, what are you teaching me in this hard moment? Instead of this just stinks. You know what? This is just the worst. And so I do encounter a lot of moms who are really feeling very alone in the world, Mm. that they are the only one in their circle that is willing to um, view motherhood as a gift, 
as hard work, but as good work. Um, and so they, a lot of times message a complete stranger on the internet because they're just hoping someone will encourage them. And I know you get these messages too, Bethany. I'm sure you do. Oh yeah. They're hoping someone will encourage them. They're not alone. Um, because they feel like they're just sitting there being quiet and taking it because they're afraid if they speak up that their self-proclaimed Christian friends will either, um, abandon them or jump on them for being toxically positive or, you know, just kind of that concept. So I see it a lot on social media, but thankfully like the people closest to me and my own mother, for example, have always been beating the, this is a blessing. It is a lot of work, but it is good work drum, which I love. Yeah, no, I am in the same boat as you. I have a really wonderful group of friends here and it's not that we'll never talk about the hard times or exchange situations, but we know that we love our kids. We're we're there for our kids and we're we're trying to talk positively about them and, and encourage each other, you know, through whatever that next stage is. And I'm so thankful for it because I it's it is like this safe place to walk in the way that we are to as mothers. Now, I'm sure that you've probably experienced this also like in in marriage. Where like you're in a group of people maybe or you've heard of a group of people and somebody starts to like bash their husband and to talk negatively about that. I know I've been in more situations like that than in the the motherhood circle. And that is extremely uncomfortable to be in because you're sitting there and all of a sudden the conversation changes and they're just off talking very negatively about their spouse who you probably know. and. You know, it's it's a hard situation to be in. And unlike you were saying, you don't there's like that fear of coming across as uh, I forget the word that you use, but like almost like a, like a goody goody and like you're you're yeah. toxic, toxically positive, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, well, I'm sorry. What what was the phrase that you said again? Hard is not the same thing as bad. Hard is not the same thing as bad. Okay. Yeah. Because I think I, we have a thing in our culture that basically equates the two. Like if this is really, no. really tough, then it's bad and I need to get away from it. Like it's, it's, right. it's bad for me. And so much of the time, that's like literally the opposite of true. There are hard situations that are bad. There are toxic situations and they are hard and we should get out of them if the Lord gives us a way out. I'm not saying hard is the same thing as good every time, but the... right automatic equation of this is hard. Therefore it's bad. is something that I think we need to change our mindsets about because it's not a biblical response. Yeah. I, I really like the way you put that because I know I've said on this podcast before and other places that like going even back to the marriage thing, like, Oh, marriage is hard work. Being a parent is hard work and you know, hard, hard, hard. And everyone thinks like hard is bad, but like I enjoy a good day of hard work. Yeah. Like, I think like, it, yeah. it you put hard work into something and the the product at the end of it is worth it. Yes. Working for a harvest is a good thing. Yeah. Right. And what is more worth the hard work to put in than your, your marriage and your children. And I mean, obviously that's not in order, but because you know, your, your relationship with the Lord, like, yeah, it's, it can be hard to pray every day. It can be hard to read scripture every day. Like there's so many distractions out there, but that doesn't mean that it's bad. So I, right. I really like the way you said that. I'm so glad because there's another book coming out that might have something to do with that. 
just I just turned in my second manuscript. Are we gonna get is it a, gonna a be first for dads too, or like say that again? Is it gonna be for dads too, or is it just for moms again? So, um, so kind of in the publishing world, your publisher doesn't want you to do abandon your niche after one book. Gotcha. Um, so my husband really wanted me to like just write to people. He's like, you have a, because I have a lot of moms that are having their dads, their husbands read um, my book or at least mm-hmm. read sections of it. And most husbands find it easy to digest because I don't, I'm not a flowery communicator. I use a lot of humor. I'm pretty mm-hmm. direct. <laughs> there's a lot of scripture. There's, there's something in there for anybody that's really, even I have people that are not parents that read it. Um, even not prospective parents. Like they're like, I'm an uncle and I, I mean that I'm not, but I saw this on and I started and it's actually pretty cool. I kind of like it kind of thing. So this next book, my husband was like, you should just write to people in general. And my publisher's like, we're not just going to drop the moms. You're, you're a motherhood (laughs) blogger. That would be, that would probably be foolish marketing. However, um, while I'm speaking to mothers again, my husband is doing a section at the end of every chapter. Oh, that's um, awesome. I love that. Speaking to either two dads directly or about his experience or about what the chapter is about from his perspective as a dad. So I think that's going to be a really good help for dads to have kind of a touch point that they relate to. So awesome. I think a third book should be ideas for dad. <laughs> We're working I, on I, it. We're working I read on that it. book. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I told you about the Renaissance man part. If we can just get some stuff off his schedule, I think he would be, he would rock it. Yeah. Well, you could be a ghostwriter for him. That's true. That's true. (laughs) I'd have to change up my style a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So let's talk a little bit more about, um, about motherhood, about your, your niche here. Um, how, what would you say to mothers, like how to practically, thrive in motherhood versus just surviving like i mean that's everywhere just just survive motherhood just get through the day get Get to your glass of wine at the end of the day and and you you did a great job like congratulations you made it to the end of the day and obviously we're talking about how that's that's not our goal it's not what we want we really want to thrive in what god has called us to and so just like any anything you want to share on that any you know, practical tips, um, scripture verses where, where we want to love to drench this episode and all the scripture we can. Yeah. So um, Galatians 6, 9 is one of my favorite motherhood verses that isn't actually about motherhood. And it says, don't grow weary of doing good because in the proper time you will reap a harvest. Y'all know what the rest of the verse says? If you do not give up. Like that's literally the end. And so one thing that I really want to encourage all moms in that may not sound super practical at first, but, um, but ultimately is, is you have to think of motherhood as a long game. Now that may sound discouraging at first, like, wait a minute. I, I have to think about how much perseverance I have to put into this. But really, if you think in terms of, I need to see a result from this practice that I just implemented. I get messages like this all the time and it both cracks me up and drives me slightly crazy. Someone will ask for my, for my advice or they'll read my book and they'll say, Hey, I tried this. It's not working. <laughs> and you're like, okay, so tell me more about what you tried. This means, you know, <laughs> and they'll be like, well, we did it for like three days <laughs> <laughs> and, and I will come back and I will tell them something that 
they probably don't want to hear. And that is, we did that for two and a half years. So you will reap a harvest if you do not give up means that you have to stay in it. You have to be willing to be committed for the long haul. Now, the good news is that small acts of obedience to the Lord add up to the long haul. You do not have to transform your child's life in one day. A, because you're not the one doing the transforming anyway. That's the Lord. You know, the Bible talks about how, you know, um, Paul planted, Apollos watered, but the Lord's the one that gives the harvest. The Lord's the one that makes it grow. So we have a purpose. Deuteronomy 6 talks about how we're supposed to talk to our children about God's law all day, every day, as you stand up, as you lie down, as you walk in the way. Like literally whatever it is you're doing, you're supposed to be bringing God's law into it. Um, and that can be really intimidating, but practical encouragement for moms. One, look at it as something that the Lord has called you to do. Um, to stay in a game and knowing that the harvest is coming. Just look for those moments of harvest, but invest in the small things each day. So one of the biggest things that I think that any mom can practically do to keep her sanity is to develop rhythms in her home. If you wake up every day and have no clue what's coming, you will inevitably get to the end of the day frustrated, frazzled, tired, and feeling like you're a failure. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about planning for every moment of your day. There are moms that need that. And I think that there is a huge amount of grace for different personality types within motherhood. You have the ultra organized ultra schedulers that literally write out a plan for the day that says at 830, we will be doing Bible reading at 845. We will be doing cleanup at 915. We will be, and they stick to it because it helps them to thrive. So I guess backing up a little bit, I would say know thyself kind of do a little bit of self-examination mm-hmm. and be honest about the days where you feel like you have been successful and what worked and the days when you have really been beating yourself up by the end of the day and what you did not do well. And then look at the things that worked and say, not what does Susie over there do or what does Nancy or Ashley do, but what works for me within a biblical framework? What does teaching my children when I rise, when I sit, when I lie down look like for me, not for her? Because the comparison game has never helped anyone. You know, C.S. Lewis gets quoted so often, comparison is the thief of joy. Mm -hmm. Um, And so finding a rhythm. For most moms, I would say that getting up at least a little bit before your kids is a good idea. Sure. Um, Not being woken up by your kids and feeling like you are already behind in your day and they've already dumped a bowl of cereal on the ground. And you know, like you're just catching up, getting up, spending some time in God's word, but there are going to be seasons. I mean, I have been, I'm still nursing my twin toddlers and I have been nursing for almost 16 years straight. Like I've gotten some gaps, but seasons of nursing and infancy, it is hard to drag yourself out of bed. And sometimes you have been up, I mean, when my toddlers, when my um, twins were babies, we've always kind of gotten kids on a sleep schedule pretty quickly, um, but they just resisted and were, were small and they needed more food and they needed more time with mom. And there were times I was up like 12 to 15 times a night oh and goodness. I was not rising. I was not rising before my kids. So I think you establish rhythms 
And then you give yourself grace for those seasons because the Lord is giving you that grace. For sure. Um, so for us, for example, I'm not prescriptive in parenting at all. So when I give you my example, it's just to give you an example of how, what works for our family. No. Um, but for us, I get up between six and six 30. My three-year-old usually gets up at the same time, but he walks downstairs with me and says, are we, you going to read your Bible? And he sits beside me and reads a book or I get him some food and he sits at the Island and I read my Bible. And then we do family Bible reading with when Sean comes down and the older kids get up around seven, um, seven fifteen, And then we do cleanup. So we have two cleaning periods a day. Um, one in the morning and one in the evening where everybody participates. We all have a job and we don't rotate the job a bunch. We don't have chore charts. We do not do anything complicated. Everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing and they do it. And it's because it's so repetitive. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm all about extremely simple, extremely straightforward, not making things complicated because I will forget the complicated system. And then I'll be frustrated that I failed. But really what I did was chose something unwise for my personality type. If that makes sense. Um, so then we will, um, we'll do our morning cleanup. We will start on math and reading. I actually teach fitness classes in the middle of our homeschool morning, which is very unconventional. <laughs> and I haven't always done that, but at this point we've got, we've got a flow that works for us. So they keep going with math and chores. I go teach my fitness class with the little kids so that the little kids aren't driving them crazy. I come home and we, we pick up and do lunch. Like we'll listen to a podcast during lunch sometimes or a read aloud book during lunch or audiobook. I mean to say, um, not every day, but we'll, we'll do that when we can. And then, um, we'll have some free time in the afternoons, finish any school that we need to. And then typically all of us, all ages are, we do read alouds together in the afternoon, somewhere between three and four and my kids fold laundry. They love folding laundry because they love read aloud time. So I no longer fold laundry. I do a lot of laundry, but I don't fold it. If that makes sense, <laughs> I awesome. it, I sort it. And so, um, and they, they don't resent, like they, they love it. They look forward to it. They're like, it's, they literally ask me if there is laundry to fold. Do we have laundry to fold so we can read? Um, That's how you something. know you've won. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, but we will also save laundry for like, um, like date night when Sean and I go on a date night, um, and they can fold that and watch Sean the sheep or something like that. Um, so we kind of, we kind of marry those two things cause it's so mindless. I honestly, this is going to sound like the weirdest thing in the world, but I've never minded folding laundry and I almost miss it because it gives you an excuse to do something mindless and sit and do it with your hands. But instead like I'm reading every single time we're folding laundry, which I enjoy doing. So it's not bad. And then um, we'll do dinner and people help out with dinner. And then we do a, um, we'll, we'll do dinner and we'll um, do the evening cleanup and everybody knows their chores for evening cleanup too, because it's very similar to the morning cleanup. Um, we will usually watch something together in the evenings. Not always, but like an American Ninja Warrior episode or a Dude Perfect episode, something short. Um, and then we'll like read with the little kids and bedtime is like 15 minutes tops. We do not do complicated bedtime. We don't do a lot of songs. We don't do a lot of prayers. We don't do it because throughout the day as a homeschooling family, we have prayed together. We have read the Bible together. We have read together. We have played together. We have talked together. Like we have been together, together, together. And so, um, by bedtime, I think, I think probably people are really picturing something that's a circus. Like you have 10 children. But one thing I've noticed, I will say this. One thing I've noticed is that when people think of me as having 10 kids, they think of me as having 10 three-year-olds. Mm. 
And they're like, I have two three-year-olds and I would lose my mind if I had 10 kids. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I have kids that are running and fetching outfits. I have kids that are dressing babies. I have kids that are helping the three-year-old brush his teeth. I have kids that are reading the seven-year-old story for me. So bedtime is a very collaborative effort and everybody is pitching in and it's not stressful anymore. I think it was more stressful when it was just Sean and I plus two little kids than it is when there are 10 kids and we're working together as a family because we have simple rhythms in place Mm -hmm. that help everybody to know what to expect. So that's, that's my biggest thing. Put something in place so you know what's coming and your kids are not completely flying by the seat of their pants because you are, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Wow. All right. <laughs> so you did mention date night in there with mm-hmm. the folding laundry stuff. And that's my last question is like, how do you prioritize your, your marriage? Because, like, I can't tell you how many people I have talked to or have heard, and they're like, oh, you know, just I have no time for my husband or I have no time for my wife because of work and the kids and all this stuff. So, how do you practically um, intentionalize your time with your husband? Yeah. So, um, it sounds like a cliche, but I'll explain why it's a little bit of a tweak to the cliche. We have done a date night since before. We had kids. So our entire marriage, 17 and a half years ish. And, um, but for until the last three years when we had kids, that were old enough and responsible enough to help with younger kids. So we could go out for a couple of hours to eat or something like that. And, and it kind of became necessary to go out because the kids are awake later. You can't put them to bed at seven anymore. You know, so you, there is no alone time if you stay home. We did an at home date night. Um, And so it was almost always Thursday evenings and I would teach a fitness class. I would pick up some Thai food or whatever. I would bring the kids home and I would have something ready to go for them so that they could go to bed by like 630 or seven that night. Whereas normally it might've been 730. Um, And my goal, and because I loved date night so much, it was easy to look forward to it and prepare for it because we're happy to spend our time preparing for something that we really enjoy. Right. And, um, And so even though it was extra work for me to make sure like the naps happened when they should so that they could go to bed early or the food was prepped, I didn't mind one bit because I was already anticipating that sweet time with my husband when my kids were in bed and we could just kind of and decompress and talk to each other or make out on the couch or watch a movie or do a silly like online couples quiz or mostly it was just talking and you end up talking about your kids a lot, but um we have made that a priority like since before we even had kids and looked forward to it and protected that time pretty, um, I was going to say religiously, but kind of, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of been as unto the Lord that this is something that is sacred to our marriage, that we make this time for ourselves. Um, and it can look different in different seasons. Um, for sure. There have been times when I've been nursing two newborns, during our date night, you know, um, but we still did it. We still did it. We still made that evening different than other evenings. And I can't tell you how much enjoyment I've gotten out of the anticipation of it, as well as just the participation in it. So there's one, Jake, I would say that that's a really big deal. So we're real quick follow up with that because we, we do the same thing. Ours is Friday night, you know, we do pizza night and movie night and all that stuff. And we look forward to it and we love it. Um, 
And it's really nice to hear someone else that does that because there's a lot of times when like, you know, a group of guys will be like, Oh, we're going to go see a movie Friday night. And it's like, no, that's, that's date night. Like I'm not, yeah. I'm not skipping date night. Yeah. And I don't, I don't see that happen a lot. Um, is that something that you see often or is that just something that you just encourage people to do no matter what? Um, so again, I'm not super prescriptive. And I know that a lot of people get really freaked out by the concept that they have to do something every week. Um, so it's almost a discipline. I know that sounds really weird, but because no, it's a it fun thing. <laughs> I completely but, agree with that. But it's almost a choice you make, even when you don't feel like it, even when you don't feel like putting in the effort, even if you're not in a date night mood, even if you don't feel cute, even if you're mad at each other, even if like, because it's not like I said, the word date night has been become cliche. And I have people that push back really hard when I talk about date night. Cause they're like, I don't have the money. We don't have babysitters. Um, nobody actually needs this. And I'm like, okay, it, it doesn't have to look like ours. What if you committed to one Saturday a month where you went to the park with the kids? Cause they're really good at playing on the playground and y'all sat on a picnic blanket and talked like mm-hmm. that's a date. That's mm-hmm. it's about intentionality. Absolutely. It's about, purposefulness. And that's going to look different for every couple. But if you don't actually make the effort, it won't happen. And no, I don't know just tons of couples that do this. I do know some, I know a handful that are really consistent in something similar to this. Um, but I have a feeling the ones like I can think of one couple particularly that just really, really speak well of each other. They've been married for almost 40 years. They have a great relationship but I don't think they do regular date nights like this at all, Mm. but they have their thing. Like they have a very specific way of communicating and they guard it. I think what you said was really good. Like, no, I'm not giving that up. I guard and I cherish that time on principle, even if I would rather go see the movie tonight. Right. People know that too. They've been like, do you want to go do this on Friday? Oh wait, it's your date night, right? I'm like, yeah. yeah, yeah, it is. We have, I have, I have plans. Like, it is. It's a, it's in my calendar. It's my plan for the night. Yeah, <laughs> I'd love to join thing. you on another evening, though. Yeah. And it's yeah. what and we look forward we to have, all week. Yeah, exactly. I think I've talked about. I've said that a couple of times just in the last couple of minutes. That anticipation and that planning um, is it's such a sweet payoff. Yeah, and it it, it really I think enhances the enjoyment of it and even if the date only lasts a half hour because bethany falls asleep on the couch it's still (laughs) wonderful hey i'm pregnant (laughs) this is hypothetical of course this has never actually happened of course never ever (laughs) i've been there bethany you said you said you hear from people all the time who say they cannot prioritize their marriage because newborns because work And I think it's because the concept of the words date night or intentionality have become so exalted to mean get dressed up, spend a lot of money. It has to be four hours. There has to be a movie. Like that's overwhelming for people. It's intimidating. And they aren't realizing that just like what I was talking about in parenting, a little bit goes a long way. Um, There's a verse in Isaiah, I think, that says here a little, there a little, line upon line, precept upon precept. And then it repeats it line upon line, precept upon precept. Um, And it's the concept of little acts of faithfulness add up and they build a foundation 
for a lifetime of faithfulness. And that's true in marriage as in parenting. And so I do encourage people like, it doesn't have to look like ours. Doesn't have to, doesn't have to be every single week. Doesn't have to last longer than 30 minutes. Like it can be a, a really intentional, like morning coffee and prayer time that you do right, with each right, other. Right, it, right. Yeah. There's always. Right. Yeah, just whatever works friends, for you. We've got friends that love to golf together and their parents yeah. live close by their parents, you know, watch the kids and they go play a round of golf. I don't like golf. Yeah. <laughs> that's not a date to me, but like, that's their thing. And like, I, yeah. I, yeah. And like you said, you can't say like, well, it has to be a date night. Like you can go out for, you know, if you have the opportunity and the ability to go out and get a coffee in the middle of the day, Bethany and I, after church, we'll run out and like, just have a driving date where we just go get a cup of coffee together and the kids are in the back of the van but we're still just sitting up front having intentional conversation and yeah. enjoying our time together. Right. Exactly. And I, I really encourage moms um, to push a little bit past that assumption that because there are small children in the house, I cannot do this. I know it feels that way. I know it can feel really overwhelming. I'm like someone is putting one more thing on your plate and you can tell yourself he'll still be there. He'll understand. And there is truth to that. Husbands do have to be understanding. They do have to bear with their wives. They do have to love them as Christ loved the church. If they're, if they're fulfilling a Christian calling, but I just don't ever want to look up in 10, 15, 20 years and think, I don't know this man because I made my children my God, <laughs> I made my children, my idol. I made them my first priority above Jesus and my husband. And I don't even recognize the person that I'm going to be spending the rest of my life with, even when my children are gone. I don't want that to happen. Yeah. They've actually linked that a lot to divorces later on in marriages is like, once yeah. you're an empty nest, you're like, Oh, well the kids were everything. So now mm -hmm. the kids are gone. What do we do? Like you have yeah. to rediscover yourself. And sometimes you know, they say you change every seven years, but like sometimes you literally have lived, you've been a roommate with someone raising sure. kids together. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, but man, this has been an awesome conversation and I feel like we could just keep going and going and going, but we are pushing an hour and we don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, so I, I already said last question, but here's my final, final question. Um, is your book on audiobook? Yes, and I read it. Oh, yep. okay. Perfect. So I I hadn't looked it up yet. I, I am an auditory learner. That's how I get through books. I was going to say, are you asking for you, Jake? Because you're going to read? Yes. Yes. Awesome. I, awesome. I will read it. Yay. I've got Can't... like five books to read on a uh, on a work trip coming up. So That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Abby. Can you share with everyone where they – where other than on Audible, they can find your book and where they can also find you on social media. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's sold most places. You can find it at Barnes and Noble, christianbook.com, Amazon, Mardell. Um, just, just give it a, give it a quick web search and it will pop up on pretty much any, um, any format that you want to buy it in. And you can find me at msformama.net or msformama.com. You can find me on Instagram at, at, M dot is dot four dot mama. I had to put the dots in because people were like myth for mama. I don't know what that is. <laughs> Very confusing to people. And I'm also on Facebook as well, as well at the same thing. Awesome. Well, we will link all of that in the show notes. So 
Thank you so much. This has been wonderful, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your night. You too. Thank you all for having me. Mm-hmm.